Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, it's so good to have you here. If you do not know, we have been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've been talking about love, this very peculiar thing that we find ourselves struggling with, but we use in our vernacular so often, saying which we love someone or we want to get love from someone. We've said last week that the essence of love is radical giving and receiving. In other words, you've been made, you've been designed to get love from people and you've been designed to give love to people. What we're saying then is that when God created the heavens and the earth and he made people, there was Adam and there was Eve. And then when Adam was by himself, he acknowledged it's not good for man to be alone. And therefore, in order to be fully human, to be fully alive, it is to experience authentic relationships with people and not to live isolated or live alone or disconnected, but to fully experience people. That is the way God designed us. We all have our particular preferences. We all have the things that cause us to separate from people. And in the Corinthian church, the book that we're looking at, there were these issues that divided them. Oh, and they divided over so many different things. They divided over which preacher they figured they would follow. I am of Apollos. I am of Paul. I am of Cephas. They talked about different gifts, and they look at people who had upfront gifts better than people who did not have gifts that were seen. And so Paul would talk about a body. They would talk about their different philosophies of sex and how they viewed the actual sexuality that God has given us. And now there's an issue at the Lord's Supper. The very thing we do at the end of church every Sunday. But there was a problem in the way that they did it. It was uncommon then, and is often uncommon now, for different social structures to be in the same room. Oftentimes, people who had different economic uh, realities would not come together. The rich would hang out with the rich. The poor would hang out with the poor. And in the same way in our social structures, oftentimes our affinity groups define our relationships, the people that we are most comfortable around. And yet, Social norms and social structures should not define the relationships in a church. The church should be this very diverse place. And what was happening in the Corinthian churches, the way that they did their uh, communion was more like a potluck, like Thanksgiving, where you would bring over, many of you are just preparing your mac and cheese, praise the Lord. Right? Whatever your delicacy is that, that, that you said you were going to bring over, it was very similar to the way that they did the communion meal after church. Everyone would bring over their food. The problem is, at the Corinthian church and in the Corinthian church, they would bring over food and they'd eat their own food. They would not share with other people. Now, isn't that odd? Wouldn't you, if you invite somebody over and they bring over the meatloaf, but they eat it themselves, you would give them a sharp rebuke. And this is what's going to happen here. So imagine that. Imagine even at a potluck dinner, somebody eating all the food they brought and another person sitting right next to them who hasn't eaten all day. In fact, who is poor. 
Jesus is going to rebuke them. And, and the church, he's going to say, is not living out what Jesus has done. Because if you are a Christian, if you know Jesus, and you don't like to share food, that's a bigger problem. You don't know what Jesus has done for you. In fact, we could go on to say, if you don't become radically generous because of Jesus, then you don't know Jesus. You don't fully understand nor comprehend the generosity of Jesus and the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so what Paul is going to say and what Jesus is going to say is that the, the Christ that died for us, that gave himself for us, should cause us to give ourselves to other people. And so we are going to look at the historical roots of the communion meal, and we are going to look at how it affected the relationships in the Corinthian church. The historical roots of the communion meal really goes to the Passover. If you've ever heard of the Passover, you know that the Egyptians, they were terrorizing the Israelites. The Egyptians, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, he would not liberate the Israelites, oversaw them. And so one day God says, I am going to create divine justice. I am going to free the Israelites. I am going to send a deliverer in Moses. And he ends up sending this deliverer. And yet, when Moses is sent, God would judge the Egyptians. He did this by saying, on one night, I am going to send a death angel. This death angel will hover over houses. And when he hovers over the house, the firstborn child will be taken. Also, the firstborn of the animals would be taken. And in the morning when you wake up, you'll hear the crying and moaning of many mothers, many farmers, many people will be crying because there are people dead in their house. But God says, I got good news. I'll create a way for there for people to be saved. Here's what I'll do. If you will take a lamb, kill it, and when you kill that lamb, you'll eat the lamb, but you'll take the blood of that lamb. You'll put it on the doorposts of your house. Put it on the lentils of your house, and it will tell me that you are, sa you are saved. You are being sheltered by that blood. It says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 7, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentils of the house, which they eat it. And then in verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so what the Lord says is, you're going to take a lamb, possibly a lamb that you saw growing up. You're going to take him. You're going to slaughter him. You're going to eat him and you're going to take the blood. And that's the way I'll know that the death angel won't come get you, but you slaughtered a lamb and you know that sin has its price, which is a life. It is the blood. And what Moses would establish from that point in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, he would say that this day, meaning 
that very moment, this day will be a memorial day for you. This day, hey, let's, uh, let's I know we're all moving. Let's kind of try to all chill for a second. We got a lot of moving and stuff. But I, I want us to get this point, and I know that we, we got to get stuff, but let's kind of keep it in-house and, like, focus, all right? All right, so Exodus chapter 12, this day shall be a memorial to you forever. Now, why is that important? Because he was saying forever, you will always do this meal. Now, you, 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 many people are like, oh, snap, it got, it got real, right? Because I want you to understand why the sacrifice was made. They took a lamb and they slaughtered him and they said, we will always do this memorial forever and ever and ever. And we will always remind ourselves that a lamb was slaughtered on our behalf because the penalty of sin is death. That's what he says. The penalty of sin is death. That is the recompense for our sin. Jesus, Jesus would step in on a Passover night. And on a Passover night, Jesus, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says in verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. On that night, when they were gathering around and they were used to the Passover, you got to remember that these disciples and Jesus, all they knew their whole lives was the Passover meal. In the Passover meal, there would be wine. In the Passover meal, there would be bread, but there would also be a lamb. And in that very moment, as he got the bread and he got the wine, they would say to themselves, where's the lamb? Where, where's that lamb? We're so used to the lamb. And Jesus was saying to them, I am that lamb. I am the main course, and in so doing, I am the sacrifice for your sins. Jesus will say in Isaiah 53, or the Lord will say in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, and our sins therefore are laid on him, and he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. The sins that we all know are deep in our hearts were laid on him. And we know, we know that we are inconsistent people. And we know that sin is part 
of our everyday lives. We may not call it sin, but there's a word that we can say we are inconsistent or we are imperfect, but we don't keep standards. We don't even keep our own standards, praise God. And we know we don't keep our own standards because we give advice to people we don't even keep. You tell people you're a vegan, but you eat meat on the weekends, praise God. I just only do it on the weekends. No, we're inconsistent. And we know it. And this is the, one of the toughest things, the reason why I'm saying you've got to hear this because the culture is always telling you about your truth and your way and there is no right, there is no wrong, there is no standard. And God is saying, oh, there is a standard and there's a penalty for not meeting that standard. And he says, you've got to remind yourself. You've got to do a dinner. You've got to remind yourself. You've got to see there was a sacrifice because there is a penalty for sin. There's a consequence. Every year they had to wake themselves up to that reality. And that's why we do communion. Because we we're reminding ourselves that the sin that we know that so easily entangles us has a consequence. That my salvation wasn't for free. It came at a cost. And that cost will cause me to change. It will translate the way that I live my life. <laughs> when they looked at when they looked at, I mean, can you imagine the moment the disciples there looking at Jesus? And they're just like, Jesus, where's the lamb? And Jesus is like, I'm the lamb. This is so crazy. And, 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 and on that night, you know, they're telling their kids, well, God's going to, they're going to slaughter some people, but we're going to put this blood on the doorpost. And, and, and why, are, why are we doing all this? And the reason why they were doing the blood on the doorpost and the reason why Jesus is saying, this is my body. It's because the blood on the doorpost was supposed to be our blood. And Jesus on the cross was supposed to be us there. And he is what they call, and the theologians will call it substitutionary atonement. He is our substitute. That's what we have to see when we see communion. That's what we have to see when we see the Passover. You remember that substitute teacher when she walked in? Some of you were good students. Some of you weren't. I was not. Miss <laughs> Williams walked in. Hi, my name is Miss Williams. You're like, where's Miss Jenkins? She's sick. You're like, thank you, God. We are going to while out for the next 40 minutes. Praise God. Right? Because you knew the minute they walked in, you're not supposed to be there. And that's the essence of the cross. You're supposed to say, you're not, it's not this, that you're Jesus, you're not supposed to be there, it's that you took my place. When they slaughtered that lamb, that lamb, you took my place. When I'm putting the blood up there, it took my place. It is substitutionary. Therefore, I've been saved. I've been rescued by the blood of the lamb. Jesus says, I'm that lamb. I'm the main course, y'all. Tonight, I'm the focus. Remember me. Therefore, Jesus was changing the way that he and, and, and all of us would institute this meal. Understand that John chapter 6, verses 53 through 56, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink 
his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds, listen, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus will say, yes, I'm true food and I'm, I'm true drink. <laughs> Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 66, it says many of his disciples left him. Jesus, they, they were like, man, we loved it when you walked on water. This whole thing is you as a delicatessen. I can't do it. Can't go that far. Jesus can't eat you, all right? I love you. Can't do it, right? So there, the people said, we won't follow you anymore. So some people took communion literally. They took this teaching so literally that they couldn't actually comprehend Jesus. But some could even take it figuratively. I mean, some of you could sit here every Sunday because we do communion every Sunday, mimicking the early church. And you could just do it so figuratively that it's just, you know, the, the little styrofoam cracker. I, 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 we're going to try to get better, but I'm sorry. It's not styrofoam, but it, I know it's just not, it's not good. It's good enough. It's good enough for our budget, praise God. But anyway, listen, it's symbolic. But you could just go through the motions. You could just go through the motions. Just be like, okay, this means the end of church. Right? And you could just go through the motions. But this is supposed to be an acted sermon. A proclamation of his death. We are literally reenacting the night. It says he was betrayed. And you and your mind should have this movie going on of that night. And seeing Jesus as he's getting ready to be slaughtered, seeing this moment of his blood being poured out. And Jesus says, my flesh is true food, true drink. It's true. You have to understand the essence of that, that Jesus is not talking about just eating him. Jesus is making a play on ideas of what eating is all about. Eating is all about being satisfied. It's consuming something till you're, till you're full and you feel like you, you, you just ate something real. I mean, you know, many of us went off to school and we became ramen connoisseurs. We knew how to hook that thing up. You knew how long to heat it up. Dash it in. Hot pockets, praise God. Many of you know when it's your last time, those things are amazing. But you came home for Thanksgiving one year, and mama said, have some of this mac and cheese and this collard greens. Yeah, get some of this beans and rice. Yeah, and you sat down, and you said, that's true food. Oh, that's that good food. Oh, yeah, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> because you were, what, satisfied. You were filled up. It was good to you. And Jesus says, I am not that processed garbage that you've been chewing on. I'm true food. My life is true food. I am the real thing. Consume my life. Know my life. Part of the reason why it is hard for us to piece the reality of what he's saying here together is because the way that we think of the word remember, 
Now, the word remember, the root word is member. And so when you have a member and you hear the word dismember, you think of tearing something apart. But when you remember something, you're putting it back together. Remember isn't just simply to recall good old Jesus. It's to have the living Jesus connecting back to my life. That's why he says, abide in me and I in him. Have you ever had someone say, welcome to my humble abode? Come into my house. Connect with me deeply. That's what he's saying. Connect with me. Be, let our relationship be real, alive. Remember. Put it all together. And so the context then of that night is of a unique moment where the Lord's Supper is happening. And yet it now correlates to what was happening in 1 Corinthians where they were always doing that meal. Remember, it's potluck style and people are bringing over their own food. But remember too, the poor are bringing nothing. The rich are bringing everything. And the poor are watching the rich eat their food while they have nothing. And Paul says, y'all think y'all doing something because you do the Lord's Supper every week. You, you think y'all you, you, think y'all special. Is that what it is? Because you're doing the Lord's Supper? Verse 20. When you come together, it's not even the Lord's Supper you're eating. You're not even doing it. I know, oh, you think because you do the motions, you're actually connecting to its reality. No, 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 no. You're not actually doing what you think you're doing. What a sharp rebuke. Verse 21. For, then he explains, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? And this is the key word, humiliate those who have nothing. You're hoarding while they have nothing. You shame them in their poverty. You mock them in their depravity. You could have eaten at home. You knew there were people that had nothing and you eat in front of them. What shall I say to you? Should I commend you? No. I won't commend you for that. And so what, what the church, y'all, what the church is supposed to be is we should be a place where people are all over the place economically. People are all over the place ethnically. People are all over the place socially. People are all over the social stratosphere. And when they come into here, we do not mimic social structures, but we break down barriers. And in breaking them down, we have a common meal, a common union together in the name of Jesus. Paul in Galatians chapter 3, he says that all social structures could be down, but you have to see the way it's, it's built out. It's high and low. He says there is no Jew who was considered high in the social stratosphere, and there's no Greek who is considered low in the social stratosphere. There is no slave who was a nobody in the social stratosphere. Ah, but there's no free in that 
same reality. And there's no male who was highly regarded and no female who was highly regarded. Now, in reality, we know there's still men and there's still women. They're still slaves. They're still free. But in the reality, when you come in here, that doesn't define you. What defines you is the love of Jesus. And we are all one in Christ because the grace of God has changed us and he's made us into what we are. So how much money doesn't define you? How well you're known doesn't define you. And if it defines you, then you will not remember, you'll dismember. You will not connect deeply with people, but you will gather in your own little silos and you will not allow yourself to feel the beauty of the the community. The grace of God should level all status and allow us to be one in Christ. Sundays, should be a moment where, I know we got to go. I know, you, I know, I know you're, 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 I know you're important. And you have something to do, but, but, but remember that relationships can't just be connected to online. We got to be fully present sometimes. We got to see people's eyes. We got to be able to connect with people organically as well. We have to have life on life. In your city groups, when you come together, realize that in that city group, when you're having the meal, it is not just this abbreviation before the the time when we get into the word, when we do the real thing. No, the real thing is connecting with people, connecting and knowing people and being fully present with them. And people should, we should have all types of people we're connecting with. When we first started doing communion at this church, It was very interesting because a lot of the people that we do church with either rededicated life to Christ or they weren't going to church or they didn't know the Lord, whatever the case may be. So when people came here, um, we started doing communion and uh, I told folks, you know, just go get the communion and we'll we'll come back and we'll do it. And so um, I looked up and the communion was Hawaiian bread. You know that sweet bread? It was Hawaiian bread and the wine, it wasn't wine, but it was like cran apple. So it was just like, and I remember, so I'm just like his body, which is broken. And I was like breaking it. And it was like, whoosh, and it was like all beautiful, you know? And then, so we had the cran apple. Now, I think God was pleased. I'm not sure, but I know, I know we had brunch. I know that I was filled. I felt good about myself after. I know that was real food. But the, what I'm saying is when you come together, when we come together, we should be all over the map. That's what it means to be real with one another financially, socially, and spiritually. And so, hear hear these words. You're missing communion if you don't understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and connect it to your life and know that blood was shed on your behalf, but there's another dynamic. That is mostly vertically, but there's a horizontal reality. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then as so to eat of the bread and drink of the cup for verse 29 for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so he's saying that when you are taking communion, 
You have to not only think of you and Jesus, you have to think of us and Jesus. When he says discerning the body, he's talking about my brother or my sister. And he says in verse 29, that is why many of you are weak, ill, and some have died. Now, on a basic level, we see in Acts chapter 5 and 1 John 5 that there were moments where God would judge people. But what he's getting at is that hoarding is often an indication of unbelief. And it is definitely an indication of carnality. And God judges that. Now, does he do that today? We don't see that often. But you got to understand that what they would do at that time is they would read off these letters from Paul in front of the community. And, and you know, Paul drops the mic. He's like, that's why many of y'all are weak, ill, some have died. It's like, that's why Keisha died. I'm sure of it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Somebody's sick. Somebody's ill. Like, they're thinking of people because it's God's judgment. Now hear the weight of that. That's how much the Lord wanted to be sure that people knew that it was not just enough to have a vertical affection, but that a horizontal affection would be there as well. He says, therefore, in verses 33 through 34, here's the point that he makes. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. He says, wait for one another. Hey, hey, slow down. Have you considered that your brother is hungry? Have you considered your sister has nothing? I know you think you're doing the Lord's communion because you're sitting there thinking about you and your relationship with God, but have you thought about your relationship with other people? Or you think you have an abundant walk with God, but do you have an abundant walk with people? Are you fully connected with people? You see, when you walk in unforgiveness, you are not doing communion. When you walk in bitterness, when you hold grudges, you are not fully doing communion because you can't sit there and actually eat this picture of a person's body and blood who sacrificed for love, and yet you're not loving the people. That is, you are not understanding the full rendition of what God intended. Imagine if God held a grudge on us. I mean, imagine if God was like Jehovah Petty, right? Like, what if he just, what if he was always like bringing stuff up to us? Like, oh, okay, you coming back to pray about that again? It's good. It's good. <laughs> good, you, you need to pray about it again. Yeah. Yeah, because you seem to have some problems. Imagine if God always did that to us. Imagine if God was like, you know, I'm going to make you work for it this time. Yeah, 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 I got, you got to prove it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And every ounce of grudge that we hold is a picture of unbelief. And then there is a, oh 
man, there's such a weighty text in Matthew chapter 5. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift therefore before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now what Paul was, rather what, uh, what Jesus is saying there is, if you have something that you think, oh, I want to do for God, like I want to give God this bull or gold or money, and that was at that time. Or even now, you come and you say, I really want to connect deeply with God through communion. But what he, he says there, if you are there, and while you are about to give a great offering to God, you actually consider you have an unreconciled relationship. He says, stop what you're doing with me vertically and get the horizontal stuff together. I am not pleased when it's just me and you doing good. I am pleased when you are living out the life of Christ in the body. And notice what, what Jesus says here. Leave your gift before the altar. But he says, it's when you remember, when you remember that your brother has something against you. That is so countercultural. You see, because the way I grew up, if I hear Bobby or Tony have a problem with me, I'm like, that's on them. You got, I, my phone hadn't run. Huh? They got a problem? Well, need to step to me. I hope they need to get some courage then. They need to see me. Because if you have a problem, you got to come see me. I don't go to you. And what the Bible is saying here is that we totally dismantle structures and we ask, hey, is there anything? I just, I don't know. When, when we're around each other, I just feel there's a problem. Is there, is there anything going on? Because I don't know if we're remembering together. I don't know if we're actually connected. And, and I wouldn't want there to be any problem. And you know, there will be people who say, yeah, there's no problem and still have a problem. You know those people exist. And that's between them and God. Because the scripture says, do all that you can to have peace with men. Meaning, go and approach them. And that's when you've done all that you can do. The scripture tells us in Revelation 19.9 that blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, that one day we will be in fully reconciled relationships and we will feel the beauty of God's embrace and we will be there relating to him, connecting him, knowing him. And yet, this Thanksgiving, some of you are going to walk into homes, going to have a Thanksgiving meal all laid out. It's going to be good. You're going to have some good food laid out, boy. Everybody's going to be laughing. You're going to have the game on in the background. But some of you are going to go to homes where although there's a turkey out, there's some good food, some elephants in the room too. And you can't, there's so many things you can't talk about. So many things you got to go around and you got to avoid. And you can't be fully connected. And so you reenact this kind of family picture or these relationships 
but there's so many hard things that you can't fully be, you can't really fully be connected. And what the Lord says is, never let that be of us. Never let that be the body where we are pretending, where we are dismembered while we're together, but rather that we're fully connecting, living out this picture of Revelation 19, when one day we will be with the Lamb and we will be connected to him and we will know him fully. Tonight, we are going to take communion and you have a great opportunity. If there is anyone you feel you have an ought with or if there's anyone you feel has an ought with you, tonight, don't feel the need to take communion. Be reconciled with your brother. If you are hoarding in your relationships financially, socially, emotionally, break that yoke. Ask God to break that yoke so that you might be fully present. God, we love you. We ask you tonight that you would just heal. Heal us, God. We pray you would heal us, Lord. We pray, Holy Spirit, that even tonight, we pray tonight, God, that you would open our hearts, open our minds. Let us see that sacrifice. And Jesus, Jesus, let us be fully present with our brother and our sister. Let us fully engage so that we might be fully alive. That way we might remember you. That we might remember one another. That we might be fully alive. In Jesus' name. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.